steadfast is what we should be. It's a little hard to know at one level what to say in your last major shot with the students that you've grown to love over the last, some of you, four years, three, two, and one. Some of you who I haven't even gotten to know yet, but you've gotten to know me at least at one level because you've been inflicted with my thoughts week after week. But actually, it's not that difficult to know what to say. Because I want to, as clearly as I can in the next few minutes, articulate what I think is the central, the core of what I've been trying to say all year long. And actually what I've been trying to say in various ways for 30 years in a lot of different settings. Because my message is very simple. I'm a very simple person. This is really the second part to a two-part series that started last week. So let me give a little summary by way of introduction to it, tell you about the most Christ-like dog I've ever known. Sadie, the super surf dog. She happens to be my dog. No wonder she's Christ-like. She's a golden retriever. She's beautiful. She only has one neurosis. And that is that she thinks she's a person, which is a problem when you run on all four legs. But every morning, I take Sadie out, I get my coffee, I grind it, I make it in the press because I like it nice and strong. I take my cup that keeps it hot for several hours. And then uh, Sadie and I walk down to the beach. We live about two blocks from the beach. And then we walk in Carpinteria down along where the seal sanctuary is up above it, and we walk by where they grow all these beautiful flowers, and the mountains are up in the distance, and there's this incredible field up there that that changes every day if you have eyes to see it. Uh, It's just subtle change every day, a few different flowers, a, a little different hue over the wheat that grows in there. And when we get to the edge of this beautiful field, overlooks the ocean on one side, the mountains on the other, Uh, Sadie and I chat about this quite a bit, and uh, we know that this is her domain, that she is queen of the land when she gets there. And so as soon as we get to this corner, she takes off to survey her realm, where she rules. She rules over other dogs in the area. She's very tough when she needs to be. She rules over all the little groundhogs. And she runs through the wheat, mainly, because she loves the feeling of the wheat brushing by her face. Now, the reason we started this ritual was actually not that good of a reason. Uh, I tore ligaments in my back in the fall, and the doctor said, once you can walk well again, I want you to walk every day, and you need to do this the rest of your life. And so that was what began these walks with Sadie. So Sadie had never seen this field, frankly. She'd seen our backyard. We were pretty mean and cruel. And so when I let her out, she was a little, she'd walked to the beach before, but she'd never gone all the way down. And with each uh, passing foot or two or 20 feet or 30 yards, a whole new world opened up to her. And now it's, it's her realm. But yesterday we even went to another edge of it that she'd never seen before. And every time she sees a new part of it, she loves life more. You can see it. In her eyes, you can see it in her grin. Yes, she does grin. 
Because her world keeps opening up. And the opening up of her world deepens the world that she's already known. That's what it means to grow in holiness. It's an odd image, isn't it? Because we think of growing in holiness as keeping the rules better than you did before. Brad, can we bring up just a little more lights? I'd like to see people today. Uh, We think of holiness as keeping the rules and doing it better than the person next to us. Or doing it better than we did it last year. Keeping more rules or or keeping them better. No, no, no. Holiness, as C.S. Lewis put it in an image in the Narnia Chronicles, is moving further up and further in to all the joy that God has planned for you to experience. And it doesn't end with this life. In fact, this is preamble. This is the foreword to the book. This is preparation in a sense, although it's the real thing at another level as well. William Barclay said, Everywhere you see Jesus in the pages of the Gospels, you see on his lips an invitation. And the invitation is simply to come. It's never come when or come if. It's just come. Come as you are, but then follow me. And in the rabbinic mode, when you followed a rabbi, you were intending to become like that rabbi. You weren't just following for the fun of it, because you'd given up a lot to follow. In the beginning of discipleship, the disciples who followed Jesus were intermittent disciples. They would come and then go back to their families. Then they'd come and they'd go back to their families. And that was the way Jesus apparently wanted it. But there came a moment when they set those things aside, when they dropped the nets, when they left the business, and they went with Jesus full-time, so to speak. And not full-time 40 hours a week, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. G.K. Chesterton, we heard, said this, Whatever man is, he's not what he was meant to be. Whatever we are as human beings, well, one thing we know for sure is we're not what we were meant to be because we were meant to live our lives the way Jesus would live our lives if Jesus had our life to live. The definition I gave you of holiness last week from Dallas Willard. We know we're not what we're meant to be because if we were... We would be like Jesus in our own realm. We'd be, if you're a woman, you would be like Jesus would be as a woman. If you're a senior student at Westmont, you would be like Jesus would be if he was a senior at Westmont and he had your personality traits and your family background and your intelligence and your class and your major. You would live your life the way Jesus would live your life If Jesus had your life to live. You'd be fully alive. You'd be fully awake. You'd be like Sadie moving out and in. Further up and further into the joy that God had created for you. But first it starts by responding to Jesus' invitation. Come. Where did he ask people to come to? He asked them to come to himself. So Jesus says to you, whether you're a senior and you've been listening to me for four years and thankfully you only have a couple more sessions left, or whether you're a freshman or whether you're a professor or a visiting guest, Jesus says the same thing to you that he says to me and the same thing that he'll be saying into eternity. Come. Come to me. Come to Jesus Christ at a newer depth, at a deeper level, at a more committed level. 
with a more committed will. Now, I told you we'd look at five things that will either help us grow in our following of Jesus or will hinder us from growing in our following of Jesus. We looked at a couple last week. But unless we get the invitation right, the rest does not make sense. You can't grow in Christ-likeness unless you've come to Christ. This is not a systematic that you learn, a systematic theology that you learn, you master, and you pass the written test on. No, no, no. This is a whole new life from the inside out, and it starts, only starts when you begin to come to Jesus. But you never quit coming to Jesus. At a deeper level. You never quit seeing a new area of the realm. Well, we looked at two points last week. The first is intention, and the second was knowledge. These are two things that can keep you or help you in your growth in Jesus Christ. Intention is deciding, yes, I'm going to do that. I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. I'm going to give it everything I've got. That's intention. When you decided to be a Westmont student, you intended to come here. You made the decision. You you chose rightly not to go to Biola, and you came here. You had to make a choice. My son has four schools. He's trying to make a choice right now. It's one of the hardest things he's got to do because they're all good choices. But he's got to sometime put his, his signature on a line and say, I'm intending to be a Willamette student or I'm intending to be a Seattle Pacific student. I will make that commitment. Unless you intend to come to Christ, you certainly will never follow him. But you can come to Jesus Christ and still not follow him. I've met lots. I don't have to walk sometimes further than the mirror to find somebody who's come to Christ but's not following very closely. You have to intend to become like him. That means there's going to be some things that you have to get rid of in your life. And it means there's going to be some things that you're going to have to attach yourself to in your life. And some of those things aren't that much fun at the start. I remember when I first started learning Greek. I I was in a class at Fuller Seminary of 12 hours of Greek. I'd never seen a Greek letter. And I was in that class with some Westmont students who'd had two years of Greek, which really irritated me. And I didn't like conjugating the verbs. I, I didn't like especially working on the nouns first. But if you don't work on the nouns, you'll never get to the verbs. And then I started working on the verbs, and there's all those tenses and moods. And, 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 that was kind, and then we had to learn 600 vocabulary words in 10 weeks. In a language I'd never seen with writing, I didn't understand. And it was very, very hard and very, very frustrating. And frankly, I didn't like it. But sometimes you have to go through some things you don't like in order to enjoy some things that you'll love. There's nothing better than a cup of coffee, as a friend of mine's father used to say. There's nothing better than a cup of coffee in the Greek New Testament. But unless you've learned to to work on your nouns and your verbs, you'll never get to sit down with that cup of coffee and enjoy it. It's the same in following Christ. There are things you have to do to follow him closely. And sometimes they're not that much fun in the beginning because your tastes have to change. But if you don't intend to do it, you never will. So intend to follow, to come to Jesus Christ 
and intend to follow Jesus Christ. Make up your mind. At least be honest about it. You know, one of the things that discourages me about Westmont is, frankly, I don't think we're all that honest. We paint a thin veneer of Christianity over us, and we're not very honest about our doubts. We're not very honest about our skepticism. We're not very honest about our struggles. And I would say to you, be honest with where you are. Be honest with God and be honest with yourself and be honest with us. And make a decision for now at least. What will you do with your life? Will you come and follow Jesus? The second is knowledge that we talked about. Knowledge, if you, if you, it can either be a help or a hindrance. It can either make you arrogant or it can make you incredibly effective in your love. Knowledge, if you don't have the right, if you don't have enough knowledge, you can try to fix somebody's situation, help them, heal them, and actually wind up hurting them through lack of knowledge. Knowledge is a good thing. We're at a college. We're about knowledge. We're about the pursuit of truth, not just knowledge. So we need to have our, our, our knowledge corrected. We need to take it from distortion and bring it more into line with reality. That's where knowledge is helpful. That's where knowledge is good. But if knowledge does not move from the head into the heart and down into the gut, as interestingly our speaker uh, from the last chapel said, I didn't know he was going to say that and we hadn't talked about that. As my Japanese friend said that I shared with you, the longest journey is from your head to your stomach, the gut. If your knowledge about Jesus, about yourself, about people, and about the world does not move down into your gut, then it can be a downright hindrance. Disembodied knowledge. Knowledge without action. Jesus said, the wise person is the one who comes to me, hears my voice, and puts into practice the things that I've taught. So, intend to follow Christ. And intend to be a lifelong learner in your following of Jesus Christ. And intend to put into practice immediately, immediately, however poorly, but immediately whatever you've learned of him. Now I want to look at two today. And then very briefly on Wednesday, we're going to have a sharing chapel where students share. And I'm going to talk briefly at the beginning of that about the fifth point. Intend to come to Christ, intend to follow Christ, intend to be a lifelong learner, and now I want to talk about focus. You see, whatever you focus on, you will become like. That's why Paul said, copy me because I'm copying Christ. He was focused on Jesus Christ. Dr. Richard Halverson, the late Senate chaplain, used to say this, in the first century... The gospel was a person. In Greece, it became a philosophy. In Rome, it became a code. In Europe, it became a culture. And in the United States, it became a business. The gospel changed lives when the gospel was a person. Not a business, not a culture, not a code, not a, not a culture. It changed people when... It was the person of Jesus Christ. Your focus, if it is to be to follow Christ, has to obviously be on Christ. If you're going to follow me, you've got to focus on me. Don't try it. It's not that great. 
If you're going to be a great basketball player, a great hockey player, a great golfer, you've got to focus on the game. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, what else should you focus on but him? And yet most of us focus on being religious. And being religious seldom makes you like Jesus. That's what I found. In fact, sometimes it can make you downright unlike him. So the focus of the follower of Jesus Christ is simply Jesus himself. I just want to get one last look at every face. It's nothing else. Paul said, for me to live is being religious. No, he didn't say that. He said, for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain because I just gain more of him. He said, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So the focus of a follower of Jesus should always be Jesus himself. Never even ministry. Never even doing good things for him. I know lots of people who've lost their love for Christ by doing ministry. They become so enamored of ministry that they've forgotten Jesus. So we intend to become like Christ. We intend to become lifelong learners. And we decide to focus on Christ. Dr. Halverson used to say, Jesus Christ plus anything is a heresy. You add Jesus Christ, you add something to Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ and being a Presbyterian, my denomination, that's heresy. John said, if you have the Son, that is Jesus, if you have Jesus, you have life. If you don't, you don't. He was very simple. That's why I love John. If you have Christ, you have life. If you don't, you don't. So come to Jesus and stay focused on him. The fourth point and last for today is intending to become a follower, growing as a lifelong learner, knowledge, and keeping your focus on Christ will not be of much good if you don't grow in, get ready for a tough word here, if you don't grow in discipline. I have never met a person who's become like Christ, and I have met many who have. I've never met a person who's become like Christ who did not live a disciplined life. Now, discipline isn't what you think it is, probably. I would say discipline is the faithfulness of practicing the small things until you can do them naturally and with excellence. Faithfulness is declining the nouns so that it becomes natural and you can do it with excellence. Then you move on to the verbs. Faithfulness is learning to love your roommate or your mother or your father so that you can move on to loving your enemies and the entire world. How can you love the world if you don't even love your roommate? Disciplines in the Christian life. I'm going to mention four of them without much comment. You've heard them a thousand times. If you're not growing in your prayer life, you're not going to become much like Jesus. Now, I don't mean prayers only. There's a difference between prayer and prayers. Prayers are a type of prayer. 
but they're not the only thing. There are prayer, there is prayer of solitude. There is prayer of silence. There is prayer of contemplation, as Dr. Jaiwardhan has shared with you a few weeks ago. There are prayers of adoration. There are prayers of confession. St. Teresa of Avila defined prayer this way. Prayer is friendship with God. It's communion with God. If you're not growing in your ability to commune with God, you will not become like Jesus. So we need to learn the discipline of prayer. We need to learn the discipline of the study of God's Word. Why? Because when we read God's Word well, it corrects our image of Him, our image of ourselves, and the image of the world that we live in. It gives us the knowledge we need to move on to wisdom. Again, I've never met a person who's become like Christ, and I have met many who have become like Christ. But I've never met one who has not been a person steeped in the Scriptures. The third is simply taking what you've learned in prayer, taking what you've learned from the Scriptures, and actually doing it on Monday. Obedience. Actually doing what you know is right. And doing it enough so that it becomes natural. And doing it enough so that you wouldn't even want to not do it. I would say this is the area where most of evangelical Christianity falls to pieces. Either that or focus. I'm not sure which I'd say were the most. We know a good game. We talk a good game. I'm not sure we live a good life. And the fourth area of discipline we need to grow in, and there are many others, obviously, is service to others. We need to live 1 Corinthians 13 kind of lives. Patient, kind, not envious, not boastful, not self-seeking, not keeping a record of wrongs, not being easily angered. That's a 1 Corinthians 13 kind of life. Always trusting others, always hoping in others, always persevering in others, for others. A life that's lived for others. I know a lot of people who know a lot about Jesus and a lot about the Bible, a lot about their own little subgroup, but they don't live lives of radical service to others. And therefore, there's not a depth or a joy to them. One of the greatest missing marks in evangelical Christianity is joy. And I think part of it comes from our lack of service. So I'm asking you to intend to follow Christ, to grow in your knowledge, to keep your focus, and to learn to live a disciplined life, doing the small things naturally and with excellence until you can do them well and easily. None of that happens unless you come to Him. But when you come to Him, in glad response for what He's done, you're coming to the King of the universe. You're coming to the greatest person in, the, in, in all the universe. You're coming to a person that you can go further up and further into, and you'll never get to the end of the joy or the adventure. I'd like to close this chapel with a five-minute tape of Dr. Lockridge giving a sermon called, My King. And I'd like you, if you want to close your eyes as you listen to it, if you want to keep them open, that's fine too. I'd like you to listen and ask yourself, if God is like this king, 
would I really want to follow his son, Jesus Christ? When the tape's over, I'll pronounce our benediction and we'll be done. But listen to this as an act of, of worship to God, but as a call. Is this the king I wish to follow? He stands in the solitude of himself. He's august and he's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He is the supreme problem in high criticism. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He is the cardinal necessity for spiritual religion. He's the miracle of the age. He's, he, yes, he is. He is the superlative of everything good that you choose to call him. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. Well, this is my king. He is a key. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his office is manifold. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His 
His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And His yoke is easy. And His burden is light. Uh, I wish I could describe Him to you. But He's in this. If he is good God, he, he's indescribable. Yes, he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. That's my king. And thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever and ever. How long is that? And ever and ever. And when you get through with all of the forevers, then amen. Good God Almighty. Amen. Amen. That's, that's great. Hmm. Well, I hope that you'll decide to follow that king. I pray that you'll decide to follow that king. I implore you to follow that king. Father, we give you the glory and the honor, the praise and the thanks for all that you've done for us in Jesus Christ. May you draw us, even at the communion time this Friday, to recommit our lives or to deepen our commitment or to come for the first time to Jesus Christ. So that we might go further up and further in. In his name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.